we appreciate the good singing in which we have been engaged, the nice prayer in which we were led by Brother Seth, and I would uh, commend all of our men who help in leading our services here. I appreciate that, and I get comments from people who watch on the live stream, and uh, they are very complimentary of our services, and we appreciate all of those who are watching and worshiping with us tonight. I uh, believe we will have a few study guides left over, and uh, you might want one of those as the usher comes down the aisle. Brother Barry, I believe, will be doing that. And while uh, they're getting that done, be turning in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22. We'll be studying from that chapter tonight a lesson that we have entitled, A Good Name. If you need one of those study guides, Barry's now coming down, just get his attention. And you can take some notes on uh, our study, our lesson tonight. I'd like for us to read from the Bible the first five verses of this chapter. We need to emphasize the reading of God's Word more. I'm probably as guilty as any, not referring to the text itself or not reading directly from the text. I have long remembered Brother Gus Nichols being asked how he had preached as many years as he had in Jasper, Alabama, and he said, well, I try to do a little variety. He said, occasionally I may get up and say something like, just listen to this, and then proceed to read four or five chapters from the Bible. No comments, nothing else said, just read what the text says. I remember growing up at Antioch in Jackson County that we didn't always have a, quote, preacher. Sometimes, especially during bad weather, maybe there might be a brother, member of the church there, who would get up and say, now I'm not a preacher, but we're going to read from the Bible. I heard the entire Sermon on the Mount read. <clears throat> I heard the entire 25th chapter of Matthew read without any comment. 1 Corinthians 13 would be read, and several other sections of Scripture that I can't recall, but I do remember those being read. I still remember the reading of the 23rd Psalm at a lot of funerals. Uh, Brother Robert Fox could read the 23rd Psalm like I'd never heard before, and I have not heard since. Anybody that could read it with the feeling and the expression and the humility, I guess you could say, that was characteristic of him. With that th those thoughts in mind, let's read the first five verses of Proverbs 22. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. A prudent man for, foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. 
By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards his soul will be far from them. These five verses began with the declaration, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. A good name. Have you ever thought about how important a good name is? The implication in this statement is that names can be either good or bad. It mentions a good name, but the clear and unmistakable implication is that a bad name is not a good thing. A good name, however, is a really important thing. Both of these names are of our choosing. We choose what kind of a name we'll have. We determine that by our conduct our behavior, our manner of living, the way we talk, the way we act. All of those things have something to do with the name that we have. Now, you might say, well, some people have a bad name or a bad reputation, but it's not their fault. Maybe an enemy made up something against them or about them and began to scatter it and gossip about it and all of that. Yes, that can happen. But I have long remembered and referred to a classic little article that I read many, many years ago, probably before I ever moved to Carthage, of two men who got on the wrong road. And they decided to get in the sheep-stealing business. And they went out and stole some sheep from a neighbor. Well, they were apprehended by the law. And the punishment in that area, and it may have been even in another country, was that they be branded in their forage with the letters S-T, sheep thief, so that everybody who met them would know immediately what they had done. It was a well-known fact in that area that that was the punishment for a thief. Well, one of those men was so ashamed that he left the territory. He fled in the face of his conviction and punishment. Didn't want to be seen by anybody there. The other man, however, as we say, fessed up to what he had done. And he took his punishment as graciously as he possibly could. He stayed in that area, reformed his life, and began to do all the good that he could do for anybody and everybody. One day a stranger came to town and saw the ST still imprinted on his forehead. And that stranger asked another person there who had lived there a good while too, what, what is that in his forehead? Can you imagine seeing somebody that had something branded in their forehead? 
And he said, well, I don't really know what that stands for, but I think it's saint. Here is a man who completely changed the way people thought about him. Instead of being a sheep thief to this gentleman, he was a saint. He went on to explain to the stranger how much good this man had done. Now that is a powerful demonstration of what you can do even if you are wrongfully accused. The thing that we need to do is to live in such a way so that nobody will believe that accusation and demonstrate by our conduct that we want to do what's right. A good name is in this passage said to be preferred above riches, silver, and gold. Those are the quests of most people in life. To be wealthy, to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, those, you know, those three things are really important. And wealth to a lot of people seems to be more important than the other two things. But Solomon reminds us, a man who's very wealthy himself, that a good name is to be chosen over these material possessions. It's interesting that there is inserted this fact that the rich and the poor have a common creator. The Lord made both of them. They may have fared far differently in life, and their state in life may be very different one from another, very just opposite of one another. But they have a common creator, a common maker, and guess what? They will have a common judge. God will judge both the rich and the poor. I would suggest to you that a good name is produced by three things as mentioned in this context. There's the matter of prudence. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. It is he avoids it. He stays away from it. The simple pass on evidently going to participate in evil and they will be punished as a result. But prudence is defined as being judicious. Webster also mentions that it means careful in providing for the future. That's a prudent man. He's wise in the decisions that he makes and the actions in which he engages. He mentions humility in verse 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Now, all rich people are not honorable. And all honorable people are not necessarily rich. But there is a way in which humility and the fear of the Lord can lead to our having the things that we need in order to get by. We may not have everything we want, but we need to keep our wants under control, don't we? We just want, want, want in our culture today. Trinkets come out, we want that. Toys come out, we want that. Different automobile comes out, we want that. Different cell phone, we want that. We want, want, want. We have to keep our wants under control. But 
you'll notice that humility is the primary focus here. And humility is simply a modest sense of one's own importance. We begin to think that we're the most important person in the world, that the world revolves around us, but it doesn't. Think of all the billions of people that live on this globe. I and you are just one individual. Now, we are all important in the eyes of God. Our souls are valuable to Him, so valuable that He gave His Son to ensure that that soul, our soul, every soul could be saved. Jesus tasted death for every man, we're told. That includes women, too. That's mankind. All people He died for. But humility is very, very important. Humble simply means, and this is a negative definition, not proud or arrogant. We know what pride and arrogance are. Humility is the very opposite of that. And then there is mention made also of caution. Notice in verse 5, he who guards his soul will be far from those thorns and snares that are in the way of the perverse. It's mentioned in the first part of verse 5. That is, he is cautious. He guards against those things that will do harm. He is very careful. He is, uh, seeks to keep himself safe from the harm that comes from sin and evil. Now, when an individual lives that kind of life, he will, generally speaking, have a good name. Oh, there may be somebody that, some individual that may not like him or might not like her, but generally speaking, there will be a good name that will come out of that. When we're honest and truthful and upright and strive to do what's right, we may hurt somebody's feelings, but you know, if we're too proud to admit we made a mistake, that's not a good thing. But those that are humble will indeed do that. I ran into an interesting little thing here a while back, and I was looking through some material, and I got to notice in all of these names that you find in the Old Testament especially, that began with J or J-E, R-J-E-H. Now, I didn't put nearly all of them up here. I have a list here on just a note sheet of about 25, 30, maybe more different names that all began with a J. And I'm going to do a Jeremy here. I may not be able to pronounce all of these, these things. Jeremy was a brave soul this morning when he said Mephibosheth several times during the Bible study lesson. That's a difficult word to pronounce, but he did a good job with it. But there are so many of those words that just about every Hebrew name, as far as I know, and our names too in English, have meanings. Barbara, select, Barbara and I selected the names for our daughters based on their meanings, really. And uh, it's just interesting to study names. 
But this long list of Bible names caught my attention. And you'll notice that nearly every one of these names has Jehovah our God involved in it. You'll notice that Jeberekiah means Jehovah blesses. Then Jechaliah, Jehovah is able. Jeconiah, Jehovah establishes. Jediah means Jehovah has been kind. Jediael, known of God. Jedidiah, beloved of Jehovah. The word Joel, the prophet Joel, Jehovah is God. And then you go on. Uh, Jehoiada, whom God adorns. Jehoadan, Jehovah is gracious. Jehoiada, Jehovah knows. Jehoshaphat, Jehovah has judged. You know, there are people that will say as a byword, jump in Jehoshaphat. And they never realize that they're really mentioning the name of God in that particular statement. Jehozadak, Jehovah is justified. Joseph, may Jehovah add. And I could go on and read all of these names, but you can take a good concordance and look up the names, and you'll find them starting there in the J's and Young's or Strong's, either one, and name after name after name. And every one of them implies the name of God. It's a tribute to God. Of all of the things that He does, notice He adorns, delights, is gracious, knows, He judges, He is justified, He adds. A lot of Hebrews carried names that really demanded a lot of respect. And if they would but live up to that name, what a blessing their life would be. That's what a good name is. How many children do you know? How many boys do you know that's named Judas? Now, I thought that there was a man in Jackson County years ago that they were calling Jude. But I believe that I was mistaken. They were calling him Jube with a B. That was his nickname or a short for the a short name for the name that he actually wore. How many girls do you know named Jezebel? I've heard that name used in derision and say a set of a few women, she's a Jezebel. I would hope that's never spoken of a sister in Christ. Or if it is, I hope it's not true. You see, names have significance. If we will build ourselves a good name, then we will be blessed. It's interesting, too, to look at some Old Testament passages about the name of God. You've heard me say before that Jewish parents wanted their child's first words to be, the Lord our God is one God. 
They wanted that child to utter the name of God before they said anything else. Now, that may very well be the reason why Jehovah, our God, is involved in the meaning of all of these names that I mentioned and numerous other ones. That was a very prominent feature of Hebrew's name, Hebrew names because there would be the implication, if not the direct reference to, God in those names. You'll notice that Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Do you know God in the book of Genesis there in chapter 1? In the beginning, God, that's Elohim, L-E-L in English. And it's in the plural, denoting the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But Israel's name, or Jacob's name rather, would be changed to Israel, a prince of God is the idea. In Exodus 3.15, God said, This is my name forever. The name of God. The word God should not be used as a byword. It should not be uttered lightly. And we have learned in our studies on Wednesday night that many of the Jews would endeavor not to say the name of God outright because they so feared that name. They had great reverence for it. It was such a great name that it just, you had to be very careful about how you said it. A lot of Americans have forgotten that. They use the name of God in vain. All too often, may we never do that. In Deuteronomy 28, verses 10 and 58, these statements are found. Called by the name of the Lord, this glorious and awesome name, what is that? The Lord your God. In Psalm 8, verse 1, we've heard this one before. How excellent is your name in all the earth. What a tribute to God. He has left his imprint wherever you look. You look at the beautiful autumn leaves as the changing of the season is occurring right now, and those leaves are rapidly falling, aren't they? We have a real pretty yellow section of our yard out in Tanglewood where the maple has shed its leaves. Some of you have sat beneath the shade of that tree. In Psalm 76, verse 1, In Judah God is known. His name is great in Israel. The name of God is, should be known. I fear that the name of God is being pushed into the background in the secular society and culture in which we presently live. You have to be careful if you're in some circles about even uttering the name of God. There are people who just are turned off by that and resent any mention of God. At one time, that was simply not the case. In Isaiah 63, verse 16, 
The prophet wrote, You, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer. Do we realize how many different things are said of God? He is said to be Father. He is said to be Redeemer. He is said to be our strength, our rock. On and on and on we can go. He is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. But then let's go to the New Testament. And look at some of these passages. In Matthew 1, 21, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You know, the name of Jesus is sweet to a lot of people, but they really do not know the meaning of the word. The meaning is here given. It means Savior. He is our Savior. Well, what does that imply? Well, if He is our Savior, that implies that we need saving. From what do we need to be saved? We learn from the Scriptures we need to be saved from sin. The wages of sin is death. Remember Romans 6.23? All of us have sinned, Romans 3.23. So that means that we all need a Savior. And Jesus is our Savior. Listen to Matthew 6, verse 9. As Jesus taught the disciples the model prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now you've probably heard the cute little story about the little boy who came home from church and pronounced to his mom and dad that he now knew the name of God. And they said, well, that's fine. What is it? He said, well, that man in the prayer today said, Our Father in heaven, Howard be thy name. God's name is Howard. And I have to confess that I had trouble with that word when I heard it used in prayers when I was growing up. I thought, would think, what in the world does hallowed mean? And some brethren would say, hallowed. And I didn't know whether it had an E-D on the end of it or W-O-O-D. You know, it was confusing to me. But as I grew older, I came to understand that that word denotes the greatness and the magnitude of God's power and how we are to approach God with utmost reverence and respect like Moses standing on holy ground when in the presence of the Almighty God. It's a fearful thing and yet a very comforting thing to contemplate those matters. Jesus remarked in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered together in my name. And in Acts 4 verse 12, there is no other name by which we must be saved. What name is that? The name of Christ. The context shows that. There's no other name under heaven given among men of all the names that have ever been given. Now you think about that. I just gave you a very short list of all those J names in the Old Testament. That goes on for, I don't know how many columns in my Young's Concordance there are just devoted to the names that began with a J. And then you have all those that begin with A and B and C and so on. Of all the names that have ever been given, 
Of all the billions of people on the earth today, now many of us have the same name. I really got a kick out of this the other night. We were talking about all the hackets that came in. And I remarked to Brother Tony, I said, does anybody ever call you Hatchet? And he said, well, in fact, I get some of these calls at home, and they will say, uh, is Mr. Hatchet there? And he said, I'll say, nobody but that name lives here, <laughs> and they hang up. So I thought that was kind of comical because there's a case in point where having your name confused is a blessing because we all get those calls. But think of all the names under heaven given among men. Not a single one of them fills the role of Jesus the Christ. His is the only name in which and through which we can be saved. Now that demonstrates to us how important a name is. And Paul said in Philippians 2 verse 9 that that name is above every name. The name which is above every name mentioned in Philippians 2, 9, 10, and 11. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus by his authority in his name. And in Hebrews 1 verse 4, it is said of Christ that he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name, a more excellent name than Moses, a more excellent name than the angels, a more excellent name than Aaron, the great high priest, the first high priest. The Hebrews writer goes on to explain that Jesus Christ is our high priest He's entered into the holy place, most holy place on our behalf, provide atonement for our sins, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood. Do you wear that worthy and noble name? In the King James Version, it's called worthy. In the New King James, it is noble. Either word carries with it a beautiful concept. That, of course, is the name of Christ. We're to wear his name. The disciples were called Christians. Christians, somebody said we should pronounce it. Because Christ is the root word. And remember, someone asked one time, well, what does that I-E-N mean? And an older gospel preacher said, well, it means that without Christ, I ain't nothing. And that's the way we need to look at it. Because without him, outside him, we're nothing without him. Now, if you want to wear his name, what must happen? You must marry him. That's how a woman comes to wear a man's name. I'm glad Barbara consented to wear my name. I insist sometimes that she tell people she is Barbara Dixon Anderson. You know one of the reasons I do that? I've gone into cemeteries on many occasions and read the markers there. And so many times I will wonder, 
Who was the wife of this man? What was her maiden name? I'd like to know who she was and from what family she came. Now, if you know some of the old timers, they can tell you. Oh, yeah, she, she was so-and-so's daughter, you know. So sometimes Barbara's name will be listed as Barbara Dixon Anderson. But I'm glad she is willing to wear my name. Or do you want to bear the name of Christ? If so, then Paul says, you must be married to him. Romans 7, verse 4. We're to become a child of God through obedience to the truth. Now, it can be that we will obey the gospel and then we become an adulterer or an adulteress. Well, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, that can happen physically and literally and spiritually. If you go back to the world, then you become an adulterer or an adulteress in a spiritual sense. You have been married to Christ, but now you've become unfaithful to Him. That's the idea. You go back to the world, then you've committed spiritual adultery against the one to whom you were married, Jesus the Christ. Remember, you're a part of the bridegroom, his church, or the bride, his church. He's the bridegroom. Faithfulness is required. And it's interesting to me that from Revelation 2, you know, we quote the passage often, be faithful unto death. Well, how, are, how do you do that? <laughs> Revelation 2.13 says, hold fast to my name. Don't forget who you are. You are a Christian. You wear the name of Christ. You have a good name. Will you keep it good and lustrous, beautiful and shining? Or will you allow sin to defile that name and turn a perfectly good name into a bad name? You've never obeyed the gospel. You have that opportunity. You need restoration and you have failed to do it, then you have that opportunity too. You can take care of it tonight if you so desire as we stand and as we sing.